and welcome back rugby fans to another great episode here on the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. As you know, this is the show where we put ourselves and our guests to the test in this rugby debate format. And on this occasion, as per usual, we need to first remind you who we have to battle it out here today on the Rugby Rant. So a quick introduction. My name is Ty Brogger, your host for today's activities alongside Scott, the big guy Ferrara. Joining him, of course, is Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt. And on this occasion, to take on these boys, we have Cole Kinder from the LA Supporters Fan Group. Cole, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be with you guys. I'm a big rugby fan, big Giltini fan, and most of all, big US fan. So I'm super excited. And a big rugby rant fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the most important one. <laughs> With that being said, Cole, it is great to be able to have you here because this is so much a part of the fabric of the show is to be able to bring fans like yourself on board to be able to tackle these guys here. And, you know, we always like to be able to bring in some fresh blood. So we want a fresh perspective from you. And I'm sure you're going to deliver. But helping us deliver the show, I would be remiss if I didn't remind those people at home that are watching here. What we do on screen, what we do in this podcast is brought to you with the help of great partners one of which is the team at shopmlr.com. And of course, that is powered by the team at therugbyshop.com who have been fortunate enough to make us look all good on screen with all the swag that you can imagine. Um, you know, Rob, you're sporting what? The uh, Sabercats? Oh, no, that's Lindenwood, right? No, yeah. Think? I'm a Lindenwood fan because they doubled up men's and women's CRC oh. champions as of today when we're taping the show. Yeah, baby. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but yeah but they did make the kit that the kits that they wore were done by the rugby shop just so you know right exactly and of course whether it's it, it i mean this is the great thing about rugby where it is now that it's also being televised on the rugby network where of course our show is being shown each week this debate itself of course being there as well but you know shop mlr big part of that as well you get all your gear there as a fan that's the place you got to go uh, where we get our stuff, you can get your stuff, and you can never have enough rugby stuff, right? <laughs> and plus so, one. Right. Uh, so let's take the opportunity again to be able to remind our viewers how it all works. So it's important to remind you that with your help, we get to be able to decide what we're going to talk about. And one of those hot topics on social media through the MLR Fan Zone and all the various MLR-related groups, including USA Rugby, is the talk about the new reveal of that 41-man squad that will be chosen to join in camp at Rugby Town USA to be able to define that team that will make that touring squad to go and battle it out against the powers that be in UK between Ireland and, of course, England, where the USA will be battling it out this coming July international window. So what we've decided to do in this particular episode is a little bit different to what we normally do. Each one of our ranters are going to be given the opportunity to speak on three points. The first of which is to be able to discuss the merits of the player pool in its entirety. What is the good? What is the bad? What do they think could be better? Their thoughts will be shared there. And to open us up on that rant, we're going to be handing it over to Cole. Then following that rant opportunity, we're going to be moving on to our second topic, which is to decide for us what we believe is going to be the first 
15, the most likely choices to be the starting lineup out of that 41-man squad as it stands. Finally, we'll end this debate talking about what the possible results will be as they take on Ireland and England, as I said before, in that July window. Now that we know the rules, each one of them has the opportunity to be able to speak. If you go over your time, you'll be granted the yellow. If you continue to be able to infringe, you may be awarded the red, which means you stay out of the next round. And you are battling for top honors, and we're going to hand it over to Cole to be able to take it on, and the floor is yours. Thank you. So looking at the merits of the player pool, what I find very relieving with this team is that, you know, for basically the first time, Every one of our players is fully professional. Um, we've had this in the past and, you know, summer breaks like in 2020 and such. But even in 2019, even though most of the players were professional, there were still some players, you know, unattached or free agent for, you know, the way we say it here in the U.S. And um, before that, we definitely didn't have a fully professional team. So thanks to the MLL, now everybody's fully professional. Furthermore, we have six players in elite leagues. That means, you know, the Pro 14, the Top 14, the Premiership, and Super Rugby. So that's going to give us a lot of um, a lot of credibility going forward, and it's going to help us with our competitiveness against a team full of all Premiership players, most likely in England, and all Pro 14 players with Ireland. Um, in addition to that, we also have nine players on the 41-man 40 man, uh, selection with some sort of elite league um, experience. So that's going to be very crucial for us as well. Um, they may be in the MLR or they may be in another league now, but they have that experience in the past, which is going to really help us. And then not only that, but within our elite league experience, we have two players that have, you know, incredible experience this year in big matches. Um, we have a player that plays for uh, Toulouse, I knew, who was just in the Champions Cup final. He played in it. And we have another player, La Musatelli who was playing for Montpierre in the Challenge Cup. And the Challenge Cup is very important because that is that is one of the ways you qualify for the next season's Champions Cup, which is how you become champions of Europe. So we have players playing in big moments for the USA. That's going to help us out in the summer. And furthermore, we still have players that maybe didn't play in a final, but are playing at such a high level. Um, everybody seems to know McGinty. He's our main player. He's a great kicker, great goal, uh, great score. Um, so we have, we have tons of guys uh, coming up on our team, uh, tons of guys already established, and I think that's going to prove very well for us. Um, and so I think our player pool has a lot of credibility, and I think that they're going to be very competitive. I hope. I hope they're going to be very competitive this summer. Right. Excellent opening uh, rant there. And the one thing that I loved most that kind of rung true through all of what you were saying was experience, experience, experience. You know, we're in a position now to have the most experience that we've ever had because of MLR. And of course, these players uh, uh, find their trade elsewhere. They can bring that experience back with them. Great points there. Love that opening rant. Let's swing it over to Rob Hammerschmidt to see what he thinks about it. Yeah, and I'd agree. I'm going to pick up on that experience note. I think there's a really good mix uh, of experienced players. Remember, they have 18 of the 41 uh, played in the World Cup. Uh, 27 of 41 are capped. What I like about that is you're also talking about another 14 players that are uncapped, and therefore they're bringing them to the side and they're looking to blood them right now while there's an opportunity. Yes, you want to win these matches, obviously. But the reality is you're really trying to get some guys into your setup that you know are going to be developmental. And, you know, I'm talking about guy, guys like Mika Kruse, you know, Mooneyham, Ryberg, 
and some of those uh, individuals, um, and I could add to that list, but those are some really key individuals uh, that I'd be looking to get some, um, to give them some experience and find, see if they can find a way onto the pitch uh, over the, you know, the next six to eight months. Um, one of the weaknesses is at the outside backs. Uh, only one of seven is previously capped, and that's troubling. That's Mikey Teo. He's obviously had a great week last week for Utah against the AGs, but he's the only guy that's been capped before. And yes, you want a guy like Mooneyham, you want a guy like Cruze, you want a guy like Ryberg fighting for position, but <clears throat> they lack a lot of experience coming back in uh, to the fold. And so I think that's that's the place where we could be exposed, right, as our back three. And then finally, <clears throat> one of my concerns is, yes, A.J. McGinty is probably the best fly up in the United, uh, that the United States has ever had. And he makes a lot of line breaks. He's really good at finding gaps uh, with ball in hand. And he's a good kicker. My trouble is the next three guys at fly half are really kicking fly halves. Huli, McGee, and um, uh, Cardi are really good at the boot, but they're not as good as exposing those gaps with ball in hand. And so it allows teams to focus on our centers as guys who are going to be trying to break the game line. Right. So first thing, I think I'm going to be pretty interested to see who you choose in your starting lineup because yeah. you've, you've, you've clearly thought it out pretty well. You've gone a couple of levels and layers deep. Um, and, I, and I don't disagree with, with many of those points. Um, what I do love is that you, you, know, you identified that there's a lot of young blood. You know, there's a lot of great opportunity for players to be identified as those future stars and, you know, names you threw out, which are, are just some of the highlights. But there are 14 potential new caps that are inside the squad. And any one of them right now is suitable, but it becomes very hard to identify who's going to make that final squad because only 75% of them will be able to do that. 25 will be finding themselves out of luck on this occasion. However, it is crucial to identify those younger players right now as we look at that cycle coming into the next Rugby World Cup. And typically teams would start to identify those teams at least two years out. Uh, and that's where we are right now. So seeing those outside backs who have little experience might not necessarily be the weakness it actually is right now because they may become the strength two years from now. Let's hand it over to, uh, to Scott to hear what he thinks. Let's get hot, baby. I'm going to come at it from a little bit of a different angle. Um, I want to talk about the guys who weren't selected due to injury. Um, you know, Tony Lamborn, that's a big loss. Uh, having an uh, ankle surgery, uh, he won't be yeah. ready. Um, an unlucky one, we, Yep. We interviewed um, um, Dylan Audsley um, coming back from his his unfortunate injury in which, you know, he, he set his team up for a try and then got injured, which we all saw and we all – we're screaming at the television because this is another World Cup that or another another squad that Dylan Osley probably would have made and gotten some more some more time in, huh. um, you know, and then also uh, um, um, Nate Augsburger, uh, you know, injured, not selected for the squad. Now, don't get me wrong. In a year from now, they're healthy. You know, they're making another MLR run. Do, you know, do they get selected? Maybe. And maybe that goes to what Rob's point was about having some of these backs that that are uncapped and, and not having the experience. Might as well give them the experience now. Um, but and the other th the other thing that rang out to me is who they selected as a consultant just for this the this run of matches. Uh, you know, Captain America himself, Chris Wiles. I mean, you know, still living in the UK, um, still friendly with with the with everybody. You know, he plays rugby with there. Being in that Saracen system for so long, understanding how England plays rugby. Um, and and this goes into my next point 
is how what kind of offensive setup is Gary Gold going to have, right? So we have all these players that are that are from the MLR, right? And what have we seen from the MLR players besides Ruben De Haas? It hasn't been a lot of box kicking and chasing. It's been a lot of open field. What Rob and and me and Ty and everybody that Southern Hemisphere feel, right? Um, so I wonder what what kind of offense are we really going to be putting out based upon this forty man squad we have? Um, I don't know. We're, it's going to find out. It's going to be interesting. I think overall, uh, I think we should have a little bit more open play, and uh, well, I, I think we're we're going we're doing away with the box kicking. To be quite honest, right. So it's interesting points to bring up. Two things that I wanted to be able to draw attention to. One, I'm going to give you a bonus point right away on because I was I had written down here players missing from the squad. Right, who should have been there under different circumstances. Um, you know, you mentioned Lamborn, Audsley. You know probably a couple of other names that I'm missing, but would very more likely have been in that squad and have earned their place in the past. So that's really good. The downside is if there is, you know, any downside is that yes, you're not going to have that experience there, but the upside is that you're going to have the opportunity for other players to step up and shine. So it really remains to be seen. Um, but that style of play that you were talking about, what style of play are we going to go over there? What's the format? What's the style? The only thing we have to be able to draw upon was the previous uh, 2019 Rugby World Cup because, of course, 2020 was shut down. And that meant that the USA Eagles didn't have their opportunity to assemble in the same manner that they would have had. So 2019, we see a lot of the familiar names that, are, that were there are still there. So we've got that continuity, which is important. We've still got the same head coach. Rob Hoadley has been brought in from the San Diego outfit. So maybe that might be that element of running rugby that we're hoping to see. My hope is that he's going to be nurturing that back line, right? Because we know Gary Gold has everything to do with the forwards. He was a forwards coach at the Stormers and, of course, in the, in the, for the Springboks. And that is reflected in his previous picks. In 2019, he chose 18 uh, forwards for the final 31-man uh, squad. So he knows the importance of this. Will that suit the Northern Hemisphere style? Perhaps. But there's still some, some obvious uh, um, areas to be able to address. But right hey, now... Ty, we, we, real, yeah. Sorry, real quick, but you were talking about um, Holdley coming over from, from San Diego. He's a great replacement for the coach who used to be in that position in Greg McWilliams, who couldn't take that position due to, due to um, personal issues. And they coach the same style, and that's the style that the MLR is going to right now. So I think it's a right. good you – know, you, you, unfortunately, you, you lose a good coach in McWilliams, and you pick up another good coach in Holdley, and you, you're not right. really losing anything there. And, and, and notice for sure they're both just as qualified for that role. Yeah. And and notice too, I think it's a reflection and the and the forwards that were selected. You have far more experience in the forward pack than you do Absolutely. in the backs, um, and I think that's a net benefit, especially when you're going to the northern hemisphere to play. My concern is about the 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 linchpin, the scrum half. Only one of the well, two of the four have experience, but really, I think for um, for. Uh, 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 down in Houston, uh, Nick Boyer. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't know that he's played with the te team since 2016. So um, I really am interested to see what his halfback uh, accommodations look like, who comes on in the sub and what that setup, what that system is, um, given that three of right. those four guys are really um, very much ball in hand, uh, very much go forward um, rather than right. kicking. It sounds like Rob, you're very concerned about the depth that this team will have. 
And, you know, in we'll key places. Yeah, in key placements, right? And we'll come circle back around to that as it will become relevant when we talk about our first 15. Yeah. What I'd like to be able to do is take the opportunity to be able to step into that. And we're going to be able to divide this into three parts. Now that we know the merits of the player pool, let's identify some of the star cast that's inside there. And we're going to divide it by one to five positions being called out by uh, Scott Ferrara. Then we're going to move on to Rob, who's going to be able to let us know who his six to 10 choices are. And finally, rounding out will be Cole with his 11 to 15 positions on the field. What we believe might very well be the starting lineup based on that 41-man squad. So, Scott, let us know your one to five. Sure. So we're going to start off with uh, with the Lucy, uh, my favorite position. You know, everybody loves it, loves the tight heads. I'm a, I'm a loose guy. Shout out to Rocky Rochford. Um, David Anu, uh, Cole spoke about him. He's going to be your number one. Um, but don't of get course, me wrong, yeah. Matt Hartman. Yeah, Matt Hartman and, and Chance are going to get playing time. Um, you know, Dave's going to start because he starts. Um, but we know Chance. You know, we we know Matt. Um, they're, they're just, they're just as good. They don't have the international experience, but we know they play dirty and we kind of like that. Um, coming over to hooker. Um, I gotta say, you know, between butcher, between Piffoletti, between, between, uh, Tau Feiti, it's like, who, who are you going to decide and, and what's going on? I have a feeling, um, um, you know, uh, Fagai is going to get lost at hooker, unfortunately, it's a it's a tough one to pick. I'm going to pick uh, Piffoletti just because, again, um, he has the experience. Um, right. I, he hasn't. I think he's actually played. I believe when I was researching it, he's had less uh, matches this past season. So I think he'll he 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 has less road miles on him uh, over the, the year. TT Lamis and is going to start at tight head. There's no question there. But again, just like you have at loose head, Dino Waldron and Paul Mullen. Both guys playing really well right now. Both guys getting a lot of minutes in the MLR, so expect them to see action. And another position, it's funny, because Cole was like, oh, the tight five is easy to pick. Hooker's not easy to pick, and the locks are certainly not easy to pick. Um, right well, now, you know, Nick Savetta's... Yeah, well, Nick Savetta's nursing a, a shoulder injury. We're going to see if that affects what happens at, at the camp and what happens at selection right. time when they cut it down to, to 30 men. But, I mean, Nate, between Nate Brakely, Nick Savetta, CC Mahoney, and uh, Greg Peterson... You know, CC Mahoney, uh, um, Ealing Trailfinders, Greg Peterson, Newcastle Falcons, and then Nate Brakely and Nick Savetta playing together in the MLR. You know, you you have kind of they have a synergy already about them because they've played several matches. So I wonder if that outweighs sometimes mixing and matching. But to be honest, I can't pick I can't pick a four and five. Like any combination of those guys can be can start. It's very hard to to actually pick that. Right. And that's actually, you know, a high quality problem. Let's call it that way. Right. Yeah, uh, it's a great position to be in. If you're in a coach that you could be able to just, you know, pick any of those as a combination and feel comfortable with it. Um, I mean, and, and if, 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 sorry, continue. No, well, if I had to pick just based on line out, right. I would say Savetta and Mahoney because they are the best jumpers out of those four. And ultimately, if you're securing your lineup ball and your scrums yeah. and you've got control of those set plays, you've got an amazing attacking platform. So if it is marginal, the call between one and the other, I too would probably prefer the one that's got better lineup um, uh, percentages. Um, so, yeah, I think that's got merit to it. And I think those are really great options. Let's hear from Rob. Okay, well, first of all, I want to say it's interesting that uh, that uh, the big guy talked about uh, pairings this week and how important <laughs> pairings are. When last week he burned my ass about yeah, my nine, ten pairings, all star pairings. So, so uh, you know, 
Okay, all of a sudden this week they're important. Anyway, yeah. number six, I'm going with Hanko. I mean, um, the guy likes to get in there dirty. My only concern about Hanko is sometimes um, he uh, lets his um, he, he lets him he, he lets his anger is frustration get the best of him uh, as long as he can watch that he goes in he fetches the ball he's a hard man i like him um at open side i'm going with Psalm. he has the wheels he runs with aggression he's ain't runs angry i like to see that um and then at eight i think what i would do actually is i would i would um depending i i, I would go with my starting eight depending upon what the opposition goes with or what they might go with um in each of the ireland and england games um i might read what they might do and then start one guy and bring the other guy in. I'm going with Dolan and Hatting. If I'm going to go up against a tough England forward pack, I'm going to put Hatting out there first and let and let Dolan finish the job because he'll come in and provide that uh, that much faster pace uh, with ball in hand. Uh, you know, he likes to pick in the go from the back. He scored a couple of tries in the MR from that. He has good hands. He's good in the line out. So, um, you know, I might start Hatting to really wear down the opposition and bring Dolan in to finish it off. Um at, at number nine, you got to go with experience, and, and that's Ruben de Haas. Uh, but I'm going to bring in Basca at some point. Uh, and, and I just I think Basca has, has got a quick ball. He's got a nice ball out of the back. Um, he has good size. Uh, he's smart. He really follows in the loose, um, and I like to see that too. So I, I like Basca coming in uh, in the last 20 or 30. Uh, and then, of course, you, you got to go with McGinty at fly half. I mean – uh, enough said. Uh, he plays in Europe. He understands that game. He plays against those guys on a regular basis. He's your number one choice. Right. And and I want to disagree with that one. Um, although I wonder when is the time to be able to find that next generation guy, right? So <laughs> Absolutely. I, mean, I don't even know what the age of McGinty, but let's just, let's just be polite and say he's on the higher end for a rugby player. And he has a lot of miles on him. It's not right, just that yeah. he's getting up there in age, but he's right. taking a lot of abuse. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, he's played at the highest level that could be offered. And even as a U.S. Uh, national, to be granted those opportunities for as long as he has had those opportunities, no one can fault his service. But is in this case, I recognize that he has an important role to play because there's a lot of youth that's going to be around him in the back line, as you pointed out potentially uh, earlier in your rant there, Rob, that you've got these inexperienced back line. So, yes, he's important to have. But I want to ask you, who would be your second pick? Um, it would be between Hooley and Cardi. And I like Cardi because uh, he's a, he's really has a nice boot. Like, he can he can find the corner when you need to. He can play a possession game. Um, and if he could develop a little bit more with, with ball in hand, at least to give the opposition a look, uh, if he starts to make a break to keep him honest, um, I think that would be a real feather in the cap. And so you get him into these matches a little bit, and then you give him maybe a starting nod when you're playing Canada and you have a little bit more of an opposition that you can, um, that you're more on, you're going to be more on, you're going to be in the game and should be able to put points on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those wanna... are really interesting picks there. Sorry, Scott, did you want to add something uh, to that one? Yeah. I just want to amend Rob. I think what they should do, and of course, Gary Gold's listening right now. Is you start <laughs> McGinty against the, you get McGinty against England and you start Hooley yeah. against Ireland because the only reason being Hooley does have that international pedigree now playing with the Saracens and because of the position the Saracens were in, Hooley has gotten a lot of chances to play, so you know he, he's kind of primed up to be playing in that spotlight. Wait, so so remind me, do you say you would have Hooley play the Irish game? 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, McGee, uh, McGinty starts the English game. Huey starts the Irish game, and then you have Luke Carney See, that's come interesting. in. Both I might of those reverse matches. that actually, actually, because I think about who's going. Like Ireland plays a more physical down the center game than than England, who wants to get it out. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting point there. Yeah. I think that would probably be a whole other debate could flip there. Them, but I you're don't right. want to you go might, down yeah. that road. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's ha- swing it over to to Cole, who's patiently been waiting on the bench. Let's call him up. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, you know, I have to say that I'll probably have you guys will probably have a few disagreements with my uh, eleven to fifteen because I have a few disagreements with yours, but for the most part, I actually agree with your guys' pick. Um, for example, like um, Scott with your pick, I actually flipped uh, TT and David. I, I switched the uh, plot positions, but you know, like um, that's just an example. So my eleven through fifteen, um, I would have uh, Harry Ballo at eleven. Um, I think he's I think he's very experienced. I really like him. Um, Mika Cruz, I have at the inside central at number twelve. Um, I have uh, now. It's it's so crazy to me because. This guy's name gets me every time, and I know I should know how to pronounce it. But uh, Marcel, is it Blat or Blash? Blocky. 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 But I like him at number 14 at inside, oh, outside center. And the reason why is because he's listed as a ring, but I was doing some digging, and I think it said that 45% of the time this season, he's been playing outside center. So for me, I think that's where he should be playing. Um, At 14, um, I have to go with a fellow Giltini. I have Weibold at right wing. Um, right. And 15, I have a Teo. And the reason why I have him at 15 is because I know he is really good um, at wing and at, at multiple positions, but I like him at fullback because I, I just think, I th- in my opinion, and this is no disrespect, I think fullback is might be our weakest position, and he's very good at fullback. And so I would rather put him at fullback because I know what he can do outside of fullback as well. So that's who I have, though. But I do have some um, some players that I would be looking at, too, for those positions. Um, I, uh, one of the players is um, Bryce Campbell. I really like him as a central. Um, so that would be one of the players I would be looking at as well. Um, but for the most part, I, I think 11 through 15, I think Teo is more of a, a debate because of how many positions he can play. But in my opinion, I mean, I'm very comfortable with these, uh, with the selections I made. But I'm sure you guys will have a different opinion, and I would love to hear that. Well, what I do like is, you know, we kind of re- come back to this earlier point that there's a lot of young blood that has the opportunity to kind of be blooded into the team here, get their first international test caps. A couple of the names you mentioned, Ryberg. You know, if, if 2020 had happened, Ryberg and Cruze probably would have been in that squad then. I think we could all agree there, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely Ryberg, uh, and for good reason. You know, I think that was inevitable, and I think he's a solid pick in that position. Teo has just been phenomenal recently. He's been in good form, and you're right. He does have the ability to play several positions. He is very comfortable at 15, um, which he's looking good right now. Um, and then at 14, 11, I mean, he is versatile. He's kind of a bigger guy, but that's what we need, you know, because his, and he's got pace. And Ryberg is kind of a similar format. So maybe that's what we've been missing in some of the back line there. What do you guys think? Rob, I well, can see you're, you're really yeah, ready to jump in. Here, I, I have some concerns. Um, like, I, I think Barlow, Barlow is an interesting pick. I, I had Ryan James at 11. I think he's okay, pretty, playing at a really high level. 
Um, my concern about Ryberg, especially against England, is under the high ball. He's not very bit, he's not very tall. He's only five right. ten. And with, and and you know England style, they're gonna they're gonna test him on the high ball. And and remember I mean, you that England the same thing with Teo then because he's five ten as well. Yeah, except they really uh, the fullback has much more time to play the high ball yeah, than a wing that's does. True. That's right. True. And 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 they're gonna and they have tall wings in England. They like they like those guys that are six three six four that put pressure on the on the opposition wing and try to go chase that ball. I like Gannon Moore at 14. He has, he's playing in New Zealand. Uh, he has, you know, I think he's been capped before. So he has some experience, um, you know, and, and um, you know, he can support a guy like uh, Ryan James on the other side. Um, and then I had Brocky and Campbell, a, a, a combination that's played together yeah. before at the midfield. And Brocky, of course, being an experienced uh, a veteran of uh, the last 2019 World Cup, he's got, I think, 23 or 24 caps to yeah. his name. Uh, currently at the Western Force, correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Um, yes. So, yeah, a lot of – I mean, you do and, have this experience there. Um, is it enough experience in that back line for you, Rob? Um, I think it is. I mean, remember, Brocky's going to be your captain. Right. And he's, I mean, He's, he's, he's been identified like as your captain, so he's got to – I mean, you, you got to figure he's going to be on the field at some point. Um, he does have – I think there is enough experience when you when you put Brocky, Campbell, Gannamore, and Teo in there. They all played – for the Eagles prior to, um, and then that just leaves Ryan James in your back line. That's kind of the new blood. And I'd bring in Mooneyham as a sub. I think he's just, you know, brings that X factor. Um, I'd bring yeah, I him. Think he has, one he has that height you were talking about. Yeah. And he has right. that mm -hmm. height you were talking about. I think the yep. thing with Teo, you guys have to remember um, all, the other reason that I don't think he'll be affected by the high kicks is because England knows how, how he hits and takes a hit. Versus some of these unknowns that haven't been blooded yet, so I, I would I would see them attacking a, a wing on these high kicks and and get right. staying away from Teo for two two reasons. One, Teo is a great counterattacker. We know that. I mean, you know, he's scoring tries like crazy. No, yeah, and and he's not afraid to friggin' kick. He, he's not the best mm -hmm. kicker, but he'll kick it. So I mean, you know, he he's very versatile, and you don't know what he's gonna do. So. Uh, yeah, I, like I know the merits there. I, I like that. I mean, and it, it, it does depend. I mean, this is all speculative because we're just choosing what our best 15 is on face value, not yet recognizing who they're competing against. And that gives me my opportunity to be able to segue into our next segment here where we need to be able to look at the results. Now, ultimately, we would love to be able to say that the USA Eagles are in a position to be able to take on the top teams in the world. Being more realistic and, you know, mitigating some of those expectations for all of our fans, I want you to be able to recognize that the victory here would be to be competitive, right? And I think we can all agree with that. With that understood, there's two matchups that are in the makeup over here against Ireland and against England. Now, something to recognize in the July window, what else is happening? Well, the British and Irish Lions tour to South Africa. So Don't steal my thunder, Ty. So you can fairly assume Rob has something to say about this. So we're going to uh, move forward and, uh, and uh, we're going to hand it over to Cole to be able to tell us what he thinks about these matchups and what the possible results could be. Definitely. Um, you know, you're talking about the British and Ireland uh, Lions uh, tool. And that's one of the things I had mentioned um, that I was going to mention. So that, that's pretty cool. But um, what I would say is that, you know, you bring up a great point. In my opinion, the whole point of the summer is we're trying to change the question of can we beat England and Ireland and teams like that to will we beat them? What I mean by that is that when you play teams like Scotland and teams like Italy or even Tonga or some of these other teams, we know we can compete with them. 
we may not beat them. We may be underdogs, but we know we can beat them. Uh, we, it's a will question, you know, like, you know, we have a realistic chance of beating them. But with the other teams, I don't think, I don't think anybody, you know, I think we believe, you know, because we're fans, but it's like a 1% chance, you know? And so I think that's the main thing. Can we play against them where we can turn this question into a will we beat them? And we probably won't do it this summer. But I will say that this summer is we have a very good um, chance. And the reason why is because you mentioned the British and Ireland, uh, Ireland Lions tool. So one, people will be focused on other things in that country, in both countries, uh, mainly in England, though. Um, and you will have players playing there that should be playing, you know, for um, Ireland and England. So that's one thing. Two, I think we have so many players that, um, you know, want to get experience at the highest level. And this is their chance to shine. Whereas the other players, you know, they're playing against, you know, a team that they're expected to dominate against. So we'll be, you know, we'll be more pumped up for the game. I think that's another thing. So not only will the players be more focused, but the fans of the U.S. will also be more focused because of the British and Irish Lions tool going on. Plus right. the, the England game. I mean, you couldn't get more pumped up than that. Um, and then also looking at the recent Six Nations results of Ireland and England, this is the time we can get them. I mean, we probably won't win, but maybe we can get it down to 15 points or, you know, 10 points. Because Scotland beat England. You know, we know we can compete with Scotland. So that's good news for us. They went 2-3, and three, so they're not having necessarily a strong heel. And Ireland went 3-2, and two, which is not bad. But, you know, again, Scotland's very competitive against them. You know, so and I hate to use Scotland. I, I feel bad for the Scottish people. But, you know, that's our main victory. So that's what, you yeah. know, we ourselves against well, 2018 was that win wasn't it uh yeah um, so it's 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 in recent memory you know exactly. it's with the same guys that are taking the field now so i think that there's a lot of merit to what you're saying that if it were scotland and i truly would like to be able to see a scotland matchup um yeah. because you know we kind of set the bar there and you know as long as we can meet that and exceed it even better right but i don't want to be able to take more time away from from handing it over to rob to hear his thoughts about these results. So let's make sure that we give him an opportunity. So Rob, let us know. 10 English players are out of their side because they're going on tour. Eight Irish players are going on, are, are out of their side because they're on tour. So that, that frames where I'm going. Uh, first of all, I'm going to give you my expectations. Uh, I think um, England by 20 would be uh, optimistic. Um, okay. Ireland by 17 would be optimistic. And that takes into account the fact that, you know, your 10 of your starting 15 are out for England, 80 of your starting 15 are out for Ireland. Um, England, our front row will be challenged um, as the only starter missing from the front row is Vinopolo. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, from, yeah. from the prop position. Sorry. There's two hookers that are, that are English that are gone, but we're going to be, we're going to be, I mean, we're going to be challenged by their props. Um and then our lineout should be able to be competitive because both Ireland and England are they're sending both of their starting locks mm -hmm. away to the British Ireland line. So we should be competitive in that set, set piece play. Um, we should also be game fit because most of our players are coming from the MLR. So they're going to be at the height of their fitness. Hopefully they won't be too banged up by the time they hit the, uh, the uh, UK shores. Um, the question is, will we have the depth to finish? So to give it some perspective, we struggled with Fran uh, we struggled in the second half against France. We were down by six at half, right? To lose by 24 points, right? So this frames why I put, picked the points that I did. We struggled uh, against England. Um, the first half, we were only down by 19. It's the second half that we really took a hiding, right? And the same with Argentina. At half, it was 19 to five. So we were down by 14 and they extended it to a 30 point differential 
in the second half. So for me, it's all about the finishers, right? Who do we bring in in the second half to finish the game out? Do we have guys that are, you know, Cam Dolan and a Hatting? How can you go wrong with either of those two guys coming in and playing for you and finishing the game off? If we can do that at every position where we have a replacement, I think we'll be in better shape in the second half. Yeah, I think those are excellent points. And especially when you talk about that second half performance where traditionally teams that are at a similar level to the USA, even though they've had a great first half performance, the uh, the brilliance of those teams and the level of fitness uh, at those tier one nations just surpasses any right. anything else there. And really that's when they start to be able to open it up and, and really put points on the board. So you always kind of have this feel and you can you could list a number of international matchups over the last five to 10 years where, you know, you always felt that the USA just didn't have the legs to follow through. And, but now to, to an earlier point, this is the first time we've had a completely professional squad who is on the back of an MLR season match ready. So we'll see if that now makes a difference for the first time. Valid points brought up there in both regards about those players missing for our opposition and the readiness of our players taking the field. So good points by Rob. Let's hand over to Scott. You know, talking about the readiness, you know, we, I've spoken to a couple MLR coaches who question um, how MLR player is going to react to not having that midway hydration break just because now you've played X amount of games in the MLR with the hydration break. So now your body's used to it. And it's kind of built up that, 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 um, that period of how you're playing. So I, I question that, that, and some MLR coaches that I spoke to think it's actually a bigger deal than most people would think. Um, so that was an interesting thing to, to hear when, when questioning some uh, MLR coaches, but I do think um, the, what we need to do, and to be honest, the way I feel is we play the first half as best we can with our starters. Put in the, the back line that you want to see, if I'm Gary Gold, and fucking let them fly, man. You know, let them play. Make big mistakes. If you're, if you're going to make big mistakes, make them now in your first match against an English A team or an Irish A team. You know, let right. Connor Mooneyham go out there and... You know, let him throw a skip pass, and if it gets intercepted, you know what? It's not the biggest deal in the world. But try and make the play to get those points because that's the the one thing I think also, uh, alluding to Rob's point, is in those second halves, I feel we've always been tentative because the score is close and we're trying to keep the score close and this and anything. Right. At that you point, like you're already losing. makeup of the game, you know? Yeah, exactly. And you're already losing, and we've historically lost to England. So my point is if you're down by 15 points at halftime, Throw in some guys who are going to throw the ball around and really make try and make some exciting plays. And if you're going to make mistakes, friggin' make them huge. I don't care yeah. at that point. So I, I first of all, I love that that point there, um, and here's why: because as I said more to the beginning of this episode, this is where that cycle now begins. You start to form right. the makeup of a team that might represent the U.S. at the next Rugby World Cup, right? You're going to look for that next generation of players who are cultivated under your experienced players right now. So this is that moment. If you're going to make it work, now's where you start. If you want to try experimenting, here's where it starts. With almost, you could argue, very little to lose because England has a 100% record against us, right? Ireland, the same. So really, you're going in as the perpetual underdog. So even if you end up being a competitive matchup and you lose, you've still won something because you identified players that are new to the team, that are delivering results, and will be that generation to drive you forward into the next Rugby World Cup. 
I love that point because sometimes you just have to throw caution to the wind, give the ball to the guys and say, hey, do what you do best. Um, then on top of that, I like how you reference the fact that, and I'm going to build a little bit on it because it is relevant, the hydration break. Now, not all fans might recognize if you are watching MLR, it's very common around about the end of the first quarter and then the third quarter. So the, your 20 mark and maybe your 60 minute mark, there's going to be a brief break in play for hydration. Now, this also allows for them to catch their breath, right? Now, if your body is conditioned to this, your body is going to give you 20 minutes of solid play before it's already beginning to be able to reach that fatigue and go, well, I can catch my breath for another two or three minutes. That may be a factor. It might not be a factor. The reason it could be a factor is no other teams in Europe currently do the same thing, right? They play through that first 40 minutes. But then on that point, and, I'm, and I know I'm taking a little bit more time here, but it is important because Scott made me think of it. All these new law variations that we've adopted in the MLR, one of which being the reset rule for the, uh, for the scrums and also the offside position. Now, suddenly we got to play the rugby the way that everybody else plays it. How is that going to affect us? Well, I think it'll affect us positively because you have less road miles on those props and hookers because they haven't had as many scrums now in the MLR. Perhaps, or do they not, do they buckle under the pressure? I don't think so. I think you have enough. I think you have enough sloppy play in the second half of an MLR match, especially now with the weather we're getting, where you might not be having, you might not having three or four scrums in a row because of the reset rule, but you have two scrums and then two minutes later you have two more scrums. So I think accumulatively they kind of get there, Mm -hmm. but I do think they do have a little less road miles on them. And, and, and that might be a valid point. And the other half of that is the nine is not going to have the room to be able to run, right? He's not going to have that breathing room that he's traditionally uh, afforded in MLR right now. And, and I think that's the one that's going to be the most troubling because our nines are not – we saw what Andy Ellis was trying to do, right? right? And well, then when he, when he had adjusted the rule. And so our, our, our scrummies may not be used to somebody breathing on their back, except for Ruben well, DeHaas, well, who's, who's – yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's what I meant. Ruben de Haas, that's what I was thinking of, yeah. And and Ruben, for context, for those of you who don't know, he's now applying his trade down in Austin, yeah. but traditionally he might be doing so at Saracens and even before then for the Free State Cheetahs in South Africa. So he's used to a high level of play, and he's also used to uh, being under pressure by really, really great other nines and, of course, playing at that high level consistently. He's a great fit. So maybe you are right. Maybe it might not be a factor. Maybe they just need to go to what they've always done. Um, but it's going to be an interesting experiment for a multitude of different reasons because what we play in the U.S. with MLR is not rugby as it is played traditionally elsewhere in the world or will be played at the next Rugby World Cup most likely because of these law variations and because of the pace. Um, and that's an interesting point. I mean, we'll have Gary Gold who will be joining us in a future episode and perhaps Rob, this should be a question we should put to him. <laughs> We're working on it. We're right. On it. And, yeah. and, and, but yet it is an interesting debate and for, for the entirety of the show, it's been an interesting debate, but we have to be able to take time to be able to acknowledge who is our winner. And before we do so, I want to be able to make sure that we also acknowledge some of our sponsors. So we'll be back in just a moment as we learn who is the winner of this rant. So stick around and we'll be back in just a few. Rugby Coffee was born out of two passions, providing ethically sourced coffee and promoting the growth and development of rugby. By combining these two passions, the folks at Rugby Coffee see an opportunity to bring people together. And together we can make a difference. Rugby Coffee invests 10% 
of their profits into giving kids opportunities to play rugby and projects that help uplift communities. These endeavors have been transformational in many kids' lives and uplifted and empowered these communities. The Boys of Rugby Coffee are taking pre-orders for their three distinct brews, UA UA, Champions Cup, and Crowd Favorite, a North American blend. Each brew has its own unique style and flavor. Get your brew, get your pre-order, and support youth rugby. Simple vision can be transformational. Rugby is a sport, can inspire communities, bring hope, and provide opportunity. Rugby coffee, it's not just a game, it's a way of life. Tighthead Brewing Company is Chicago's premier location to watch rugby and enjoy quality ales and lagers for all seasons. Located in Mundelein, Illinois, and the heart of Lake County, owner Brewster and the Tighthead staff will ensure you are kept well hydrated so you don't miss a single scrum. Tighthead's tap room is like the familiar rugby clubhouse in which friends and families can meet, socialize, and enjoy the action of every major league rugby derby that will electrify the 2021 season. Head to Tighthead on Saturday, June 5th at 7.30 to see Rugby ATL play the Gold. The watch parties will happen every week through the season up to the Major League Rugby Final on August 1st. Hey, Chicago, when you want rugby, Tighthead Brewing Company will satisfy your thirst. Tighthead, it's worth more than a try. And we're back, rugby fans. Again, you're watching the Rugby Debate Show. We'll put ourselves and our guests to the test to be able to debate against one another. And a winner will be crowned at the end of each debate. And on this occasion, they were asked to be able to share their thoughts regarding the 41-man squad that has been announced to represent the USA Eagles in the upcoming camp that, of course, is the precursor to their July tour in England and Ireland, where they'll be taking on those nations. Now, if you wanted to also be able to learn more about MLR-focused matches, you can catch our next segment by following us on social media at the handle at RugbyRantPod on all social media platforms in where you can learn more about the recent matchup between the two conference leaders of Rugby ATL and, of course, the LA Giltinis. It was an interesting matchup, and we will give our analysis. So once again, you can find that through our normal platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also more recently at TikTok under the handle at RugbyRantPod. With all that mentioned, it's time to be able to announce our winner. And again, we had Scott Ferrara battling it out again against Rob Hammerschmidt. But for the first time, we introduced Cole Kinder from the LA Giltinis Supporters Club. And he delivered some telling points right up front, sharing his thoughts about the uh, the team and, of course, its makeup and the challenges that face them ahead. Your effort was commendable but failed. <laughs> <laughs> Tough crowd. I thought you were solid, brother. <laughs> you were, of course. Of course. I am the one who has to be the, 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 the referee, so to speak. And uh, I think I have to hand this one to Mr. Scott Ferrara as he stops that hat trick run of uh, Rob Hammerschmidt. For two reasons. Delicious. Two reasons. You got a bonus point right up front, and then you also helped me understand the importance of the MLR law variations right now, and also its style and how it may affect the team, which also proposed an even greater question, which we may have to debate at a later stage. 
And uh, make sure that you follow us again under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. And you can follow all of our episodes as we release new content every Monday, where it will be a run parcel kick interview with another great rugby insider from Major League Rugby, USA Rugby, and even Rugby Canada, as we try to bring them on the show so you can learn more about them, their teams, and of course, rugby as a whole. And following that, you can catch our content on TRN, the Rugby Network, each and every Friday for another debate. And you can do so every Thursday if you want to get a preview of that. Get it before it's released on TRN by following us on social media again at the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. My name is Ty Braga, and on behalf of the team here, I'd like to be able to thank you for tuning in to another great episode. Cole, before we head out, we'd like to be able to let all of our guests have the opportunity to send a shout out to anybody important. So here is your chance, my friend. Oh, definitely. Um, well, to all my families, all of my friends, and to the Giltini fans, um, you know, I, I hope I represented you guys well. Um, I lost, but I'm, you know, I think the competition was very high. So I'm, I'm very pleased to have been on this show. So thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, brother. Definitely. Well, we'll have to bring you back for a challenge at some point again, but you certainly held your own. Uh, and as you said, it was among stiff competitions. So again, thank you all for tuning in to another great episode here of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, and we will see you at the next. And we're back, rugby fans. Again, of course, this is the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And on this occasion, we have our motley crew here. Again, of Rob, the Hammer Hammerschmidt. We got Scott, the big guy Ferrar, myself, Ty Braga, the host of today's activities. And uh, we want to be able to talk about uh, our game analysis. And on this occasion, we're going to dive deep into learning about the LA Giltinis versus Rugby ATL. This promised to be an amazing matchup as the two conference leaders battled it out, a cross-conference battle. Surely a lot of people were also thinking, is this an East versus West comparison of the game that is currently being played, that style um, that defines MLR? But let's, let's dive into it, gentlemen. It was an interesting game. That final score of 17-12 was an upset, of course, the Giltinis being on the losing end. Only their second time they have dropped points in this competition. And it was fitting that it was against Rugby ATL, who had catapulted themselves one more time to the top of the leaderboard in the East. Rob, give us your initial thoughts. Well, first of all, let me just say that I think on, on my uh, Subaru um, pick of the week, I, I picked an upset at ATL. I just forgot to change it actually on, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. sorry. <laughs> okay, so it doesn't it doesn't count for much. But I, I, I had said that I I really feel like Scott Lawrence would have his team prepared to play against uh LA and and, and I want to talk about some of the ways in which I think he did that. Number one, uh, I what I noticed more in the game, ATL supported themselves at the ruck all the time. They had a runner right. go up contact and there was always one or two guys then going over protecting that ruck. And so they didn't lose a lot of rucks. And that's where we know that Cottrell in the back row of, a of LA can really uh, find ways to pick teams apart and find turnover balls. So I thought they did that basically. They had great line speed. Uh, 225 tackles versus 96. ATL were tackling machines, right? That was amazing to me. One of the other things I think on defense that they did very well is O'Keefe came up pretty hard. So their midfield came up a little, they were aggressive, but not quite as aggressive as the outside. They call that the like swinging door um, kind of uh, defense. They brought him up hard, they almost got a, a, an intercept. 
in one of the uh, in one of the phases late in the game. So they have him coming out pretty hard and really contesting and preventing the wide channels from being attacked by him. I thought that was pretty impressive. Um, with once they got the lead, they didn't release it at all during the game, and I attribute that to the fact that they really put in nice kicks into the uh, LA's defensive third. Um, they had excellent chases on those kicks with their mobile pack with that allow and good defensive lines. What that allowed them to do is it forced LA because they were behind to run out of their defensive third. And so by doing so, they could afford to be patient at the ruck, spread their defense out and really make LA work for everything that they got. And that's why they put in the head to put in those 225 tackles. Um, I thought LA late in the game because they were behind lacked a lot of patience. I mean, the game was within their grasp and I really think they lacked a lot of patience just to keep the continuity of play, keep the phases and ball turning over. And they, they ended up making mistakes, um, you know, uh, forced errors, if you will. Um, and I thought ATL was structured and disciplined in their defense and forced those mistakes. Um, and then I, I saw ATL tapping the wide channels. They'd come in a little bit, you know, two phases, and they'd bring it back to the short side of the wide channel. And then they would swing that ball across the field and really attack the other side. So um, it was a really good game plan by ATL. Scott Lawrence has his voice prepared, and it was a well-deserved win. Dare I say it for all my NOAA friends uh, to ATL. Right. So one of the things that I wanted to be able to talk about, you spoke about Scott Lawrence being that, you know, almighty tactician, that rugby mastermind behind, you know, this win. And, you know, it's typical of, of his style that, you know, actually, let me reference this as a better example. We had the opportunity to be able to interview him some weeks back. And off camera, we had a conversation about the Giltinis. You remember he said, you first got to be able to beat the, uh, the myth and the legend. That was done with Rooney, right? Now you had a blueprint, so to speak. And what it was, was just shutting down those key players, playmakers. Cottrell, right. DGH, Gitto, you know, Gitto wasn't present for the Rooney game. Of course, that's a different scenario. But these key playmakers were still there for the most part. And once you shut them down, it's almost as if LA didn't have a plan B, right? And so they struggled to be able to penetrate that that awesome brick wall that is the rugby atl defense when you talk about 225 tackles to i think you said 96 it shows you those boys yeah. were working hard and they were holding that line and one of the things that they were doing on that defensive line as you mentioned there rob who's coming a little bit out of position out in the wider channels to be able to shut down those key players of dth and ryberg on the far end right they were not allowing them to get the ball and you know, just just get in the way this is something that the springboks did beautifully to win the rugby world cup in 2019 with rossi rasmus who who identified uh, and gave the room to players who traditionally would be out in the wing to step inside so come cut inward and, and, and by two or three positions in and just disrupt that that backline ball. So I think those are excellent points that that help them just break the rhythm that LA has always previously had in their wins. And one thing that to a credit to Rooney and to LA is whenever LA has has been on the losing end, they've been points down from an early stage, and the other team is just focused on staying on top no matter what. No matter how small that margin may be, take the points while they're on offer, right? Scott, what is your thoughts? Well, let's be honest. You know, East Coast is the best coast. Um, let's just put that out there. <laughs> Rugby ATL went out there and did a job just like Rooney did. And you can tell by the makeup of, of the, the squad, Robbie Petzer, which arguably one of the best backs in the MLR, one of the best backs on Rugby ATL, out for Jeremy the Missile Missigalagalu because the way Jeremy plays is more physical. Um, not to knock Rob, 
but he is he doesn't have the frame to come up and do what, what the missile does. They call him the missile for a reason and he does it on offense and defense. And who is the other side of on the other side of that? Adam Ashley Cooper. So you got right. a, a young guy in, in Jeremy coming up who who's looking to make big hits on a guy who's, you know, kind of up there a little bit and maybe, you know, is getting a little worn down. I think Adam Ashley Cooper has almost played just about every match. Um the other thing is and this might have kind of fallen by the wayside for, for most fans. ATL swap both of their props. Jonas Petrakopoulos comes in and Will Burt comes in. Giltini's only swaps one prop, but Blake Rogers comes in and we know Blake. His his play is more in the scrum versus yeah. Jonas and Will, who are a little younger, a little more nimble. Their play is with ball in hand and on defense in those A gaps. And what did LA exploit against AGs two weeks ago? Those A gaps. What couldn't they do against ATL this week? Exploit those A gaps. So again, Scott Lawrence, you know, seeing what Rooney did because Rooney kind of did the same thing. They put in their 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 heavy hitters, their their defensive heavy hitters, and did the same thing. You know, the two losses are similar. The first twenty minutes, the score was wasn't there. You know, uh, the first twenty minutes in the ATL LA game, it was zero zero, and that's exactly what ATL wanted. Don't let them score. Put them on the back foot because for whatever reason, if LA isn't having that lead or or they're trying to grind it out after a certain point. They don't know what to do. They kind of get, right. you know, they, they, they kind of fry a little bit. And that's so. kind of my sentiments as well is that, okay, you've got route A, which is basically run the ball at every possible opportunity, which they have traditionally done well. But now we are 11 weeks in in the competition, right? And, and teams have developed ways to be able to understand it, to counter it, and all of these things. But let's talk about some of the pivotal moments in this matchup, right? So one of them was the red card, which was delivered to the uh, LA Guiltini's Luke White. Now, Brazen, obviously, was definitely a red card, and that was at about the 35-minute mark. So, yes, Guiltini's mitigating. They were a man down for 20 minutes. And in that time, Rugby ATL managed to capitalize on putting some points on the board. But that resurgent effort near the end for LA to be able to go phase after phase after phase in that final 10 minutes showed they have the legs. It wasn't a question of fatigue. They could still do it. As Rob pointed out, perhaps under pressure, they crack though, and they make those rush decisions. They, they, they try to be, be more hastily, and that patience ended up being their downfall in some regards. Uh, Rob, because you brought up the point earlier, what is your thoughts there? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I uh, pointed to a specific point in the match when L.A. still had an opportunity. It was uh, at 68, about 68 minutes. Uh, they had a real nice backline move. Adam Ashley Cooper came in um, uh, on an angle, and he actually got called for an obstruction. Right. And and that's here. that's the kind of thing I was talking about, like just those execution pieces. You know, usually they're real good at those. But when you're coming from behind um, they're it's critical that you don't make those kind of mistakes. And they did. And it really cost them. It allows, of course, ATL to then get a penalty. Right. And and mm -hmm. kind of get the ball back in hand and then, you know, kick it back and, and really put pressure on. Um, so, you know, I, there were a number of those points in time during the game, which I could point to that really supported that idea that they lost their patience instead of just playing. Right. Things just didn't click as they once right. had had in other games where they had, you know, obviously better results. And that particular moment you're thinking of is, uh, you know, Adam Ash was, was, uh, I think he hit the outside shoulder of the, 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 the right. player and just kind of blocked his run inward for the, for the potential tackle. Now, whether he would have made that tackle or not, 
is is not really the point. It's the fact that the player was obstructed to be able to join the the, the, the flow of play. Right. Um, and that's and, a guy and, who's very experienced and should not make right. mistakes like that. And I think I think LA would have scored on that. I mean, there was enough of a gap and there was space that. Um, and I think it was maybe it was I, I, DTH I think, that was coming through. I think I think the line was broken and it was yeah. pretty yep. much open. Yeah, definitely. And talking about one of those pivotal moments that certainly could have changed the uh, the, the result in the matchup for me was a kick uh, uh, deep into uh, the rugby ATL territory that wasn't quite collected in defense and the ball dropped back on into uh, the field of play. DTH managed to be able to give his, his you know, patented follow-up. You know, the, he is pretty good in that regard. Picked it up off the ground, but there was a player and I, I wish I had written down the name of the player, but I don't have it. It's an ATL player who was down on the ground. And as we all know, if you're on the ground, you're out the game. But uh, he managed to be able to get a leg out, I think it was, and just trip up uh, DTH on what appeared to be on camera at first glance, a pretty open run to the try line. And that was in the 60, sorry, 72nd minute. Um, you guys, I believe, may have seen the same thing. What are your thoughts? Do you think that should have been a call uh, for a penalty and potentially a card? Yeah, well, I mean, if you go if you go to the next day, you know, Harry Bennett did the same thing. You know, again, it wasn't a malicious thing. Sometimes when you're on the ground and you're looking to make that tackle, it's just instinct to kick your foot out, and that's what I think happened in this case as well. But it's an automatic yellow no matter what because you tripped the guy. And they would have had to have a discussion if he was free to go, would have a penalty, penalty try been awarded, which, as we all know, includes the conversion. So you would have got seven points. Right. Either way, it would have been a big change in the game, and momentum could have shifted in that last ten minutes. So, so here's the thing. Uh, I think they would have called them had they had, uh, you know, instant replay and being able to go to, you know, um, another argument for TMO, TMO right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but you know what? What it, it almost like he got his body got turned uh, in trying to make the tackle, and as he got turned, he went to the deck, and his feet kind of went on over him, and it was hard to distinguish. It would have been hard yeah. on on the spot as an official to to definitively to say. Point that there was an attempt to trip or it was just his momentum carrying him over. And, and it was, and it might very well be, I mean, look, we've all been in similar positions when playing the game that I hit the yeah. deck and immediately if I am not held or restricted in any way, I'm going to bounce up to my feet as quickly right. as I can. And that, and that momentum when he, yeah. he did get up a second later might've been, Oh, I'm swinging my body over to get into position. Right. And his legs clipped. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't uh, think it's ankle. malicious. And, and and again, the rule isn't about intent. The rule is if it right. just happens, unfortunately, it's a card. It? Yeah. The player was in, in, impeded. And yes, it, it could have at least been a penalty. And also potentially, depending on the severity or how likely the try was to be considered a, a card as well. Right. And that would have changed the momentum of the game. One of the funniest, the most comical moment for me, though, was the tackle of the match that many people <laughs> may have missed. Uh, J.P. Doyle, of course, the famous referee, has made his mark on MLR and international rugby around the world. But now, uh, for me, has certainly made his mark because of his humor. He, he, he got the tackle to the match for me, right? Or should I say the recipient of the tackle to the match? So try scored, uh, I believe you said it was Reese, right? You guys were talking about it off camera. Yeah. Uh, by Rugby ATL in about the 46th minute. Go back and watch it. Hopefully, we'll be able to dig up that footage and you'll be able to see it right now. And uh, if not, make sure you go and find it. But the try is scored, crosses the white line, and as the referee Doyle is trying to get into position, he topples over a, a player on the ground, head over heels, manages to be able to scramble to get his position, to get his arm up and call the, the, the try. Uh, and it all happened in a fraction of a second to the left corner of the screen. And uh, that will be my tackle of the match. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I do have to say, just going back to L.A., I think sometimes the makeup of their starting 15 is a little old. Like, it's always the same guys. And I think, like, for a team like ATL, if, I, if I'm coaching L.A., there's, there's a position that I'm looking at at ATL, and I'm going, I need to match the position, right? And the position I'm thinking of is the eight-man because they got Dam and they got Deacon. And those guys are interchangeable, and they both do the same thing. Why Langy Langy wasn't starting for LA, and I'm not in practices, I don't know what goes on, but in right. my head, you're matching their eight with your eight, having Langy Langy in. I don't think Adam Ash matches up that well against Dam and Deacon, to be quite honest. Yeah, you bring up some good points. And, you know, when you're strategizing, you're looking at the head of the next game, it's kind of a philosophical point. Do you just put your best team out there and play your game the way you've decided to play the game and ask the other team to play your game? Uh, or do you design every player position based on their counterpart? So it's kind of a difference in philosophy. Um, but you would have to imagine that if you're going to be tackling the, the, the next best challenger that you have of rugby ATL, that your makeup should be a little different, right? You should take it a little bit more seriously. You look at those, uh, those, those opposite numbers and, and bring that into your equation, right? Um, gentlemen, final thoughts before we head on out of this uh, particular segment. What won it for rugby ATL? Let's hear it from Rob. Defense. 100%. Good defensive structure, good defensive plan, patience, and they made their tackles. And they made a lot of chop tackles with the second guy coming in, looking to poach and put pressure. There's a lot right. of times where actually the counter ruck can really disrupt or goddard quite a bit in his mm -hmm. timing coming out of the ruck. Yep. Yeah. I also do note that there was, it seemed, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but it seemed that LA um, had a lower uh, percentage of, of, of successful lineouts and scrums. The scrum against uh, uh, them, sorry, rugby ATL scrum was solid. It was a wonderful platform to be able to set up some good ball. Um, so, you know, it's a combination of things, but at the end, it certainly had to be the defense. I agree with Rob there. Scott, your final thought? Uh, I want to say it's mentality. Uh, they came in, uh, they brought their lunch pail, and they said, you know, we're going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe and, and, and kind of snuff you out and, and, and give you a punch in the mouth in the first 20 minutes. And that's exactly what they did, and that's exactly the attitude uh, Scott Lawrence was, was throwing out there for them. And that's the kind of team he put on the field to say, we are going to punch you in the mouth. What are you going to do about it? And that's how it ended up. Right. And uh, this is now the second time that the L.A. Giltinis have felt the sting of a loss. However, they still sit pretty, pretty on the top of the, uh, uh, the Western Conference there. I think about 10 points adrift from the nearest competition. Correct. Rugby ATL have been pretty consistent. They still sit on top, although that side of the field are being a lot stiffer than the West Coast. So I think most fans would agree that the tightest competition is definitely coming out from the East. And I like uh, Scott's point, though, is that the only two losses that have been incurred by Giltinis have, of course, come from the Eastern Conference as well. So uh, perhaps it's a differing style, differing pattern. Perhaps it's that they have the ability to adapt quicker and learn from this blueprint because, make no mistake, every other team now has a blueprint on how to beat the Giltinis unless they choose to do something different. And again, that kind of works back to the point of, uh, of Scott as he made that uh, point earlier. They need to do something different, right? Definitely. 
So, gentlemen, here we are once again at the end of another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. If you, as a viewer at home, want to be able to get even more great content from us, you can follow us on social media under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod. You can find us on Facebook, social media platforms of Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all under that same handle. And in addition to that, you can also find us with our regular debates where we will put our team to the test as they battle it out for top honors to be crowned our champion. Champion Renter each and every week will be released on the Rugby Network each and every Friday. If you wish to get a preview and get a first opportunity to view that, you could see it on Thursday evening under the handle at Rugby Rant Pod on our social media platforms. Once again, it has come to that time to be able to figure out who is the winner of this particular rant, right? Or this particular debate. We don't normally crown a winner for this one, or do we? Not normally, but eh, not, not really. Now. But, okay. You know. Well, then I'm going to make this a tie today, and I'm going to make <laughs> it a <wrong>. That's right. <laughs> listen, Rob. No, listen. Rob's analysis is always. I, 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 I rarely fault Rob's analysis. You know, except for when he wants to change the the rules on a rant, like you know, oh, I'm going to make the best pairing <laughs> instead of make the best players. Which you would no, Rob, the next episode. You change the rules, <laughs> mate. You but but I rules. think I think me and Rob, me and Rob, uh, pair up well in this analysis because we can right. pick out different things and and put it yeah. together. So I'll take it. And, and that's the beautiful thing about this, right? I mean, obviously, it's all a matter of opinion. We look at it from a couple of different angles, and we share our viewpoint. And you, as a fan at home, can tell us what you think as well. Or perhaps you think we're right spot on, or you perhaps you think we're way off base, and you can drop a comment down below. Tell us what you think about our analysis when it came to the Giltinis and rugby ATL matchup from this past week, which, of course, led to a final scoreline of 17-12 to 12 in favor of rugby ATO. From myself and the gang, Ty Braga, Scott Ferrara, and Rob Hammerschmidt, we thank you for watching another episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, and we will see you at the net. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.